To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have on the guys from Cutter Stabilizers. So these stabilizers have really helped fine-tune my archery setup. I can play with the length and play with the weight, and that affects the hold of the bow and also the reaction of the bow. Uh, so these things have been a game-changer for me. So uh, I'm happy to do a podcast on it. So I connect with Earl Stroh. Uh, I met Earl and have known him the last few years and I'm sorry, Earl, I kept trying to throw an L in his last name, so you'll hear it when we start the podcast, And uh, but I've got it now. It's Earl Stroh. Uh, he's just a great guy. Uh, so he's built this company from the ground up, and uh, he's been working another full-time job, started this company. He's evolved these products to be absolutely bomb-proof, stands behind him, and has grown this company to where now he can really focus on it. So uh, really happy to be partnered with him. He has on his friend and business partner, Brandon, who is also an avid hunter and uh, uses the products. And so uh, made for a good conversation, us three, connecting and talking over everything stabilizers and archery setup. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think you guys will enjoy it too. I want to thank the sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Cutter Stabilizers. Again, you know, I'm able to play with this length and, and this weight on these stabilizers on both my front bar and my side bar, and it really affects the hold of the bow and the reaction out of the bow. Uh, so we go in-depth today and talk about that, uh, but they're just great products. He's evolved these products uh, where they're, they're absolutely bomb-proof and going to hold up. He's got multiple different colors that you can get, custom colors on them, and then you can also get... Uh, He's got great apparel. Like, he's come up with this apparel. I've been rocking his hat here lately. But he's got, you know, hats and shirts and things of that nature. Um, these cutter stabilizers, they come in an 8-inch, 10-inch, 12-inch, or 15-inch. Um, man, they're just um, they're great products. He's got his own weight set that, that goes with them. Um, and, and, yeah, I just really like supporting these guys and being partnered with this company. And uh, congratulations to them to, to grow in this business. I also want to thank my other sponsor for today's show, Savage Arms. So Savage Arms is a new sponsor to the podcast, but Eastman's have been using and trusting these rifles for nearly a dozen years. Uh, my buddies that are, are real good shooters talk about the reputation of Savage, how that's the best out-of-the-box accuracy. Uh, so that speaks my language. I'm having one built now. I'm going to stick a six-hour scope on it, have the BDX system, and I'm super excited to run some rounds through this thing. So uh, their rifles, they have a bunch of different rifles. Their new one this year is their Impulse Big Game. And these things are just amazing. Uh, these have a user-adjustable trigger. So now, like when I used to set up rifles back in the day, I had to take my rifles to a gunsmith to adjust the trigger. Now they have it where the user can adjust the trigger. Uh, they also have a, uh, an Accu stock made with an Accu Fit adjustable length of pull combo height. Uh, so you can basically adjust the length on them and also adjust the height on them. 
Uh, just absolutely amazing. So their their new one this year is their Impulse Big Game. And the one the guys really like in there, uh, or one to check out, is their 110 Ultralight. I mean, you talk about a mountain rifle. Like, all these rifles come in under 6 pounds. Uh, so they're, they're, they're super lightweight. Uh, their barrel material is a carbon wrap stainless. Uh, and again, with this one, they have um, the user-adjustable trigger. Uh, they've got the, the AccuFit. And that adjustable trigger, you can go from 1.5 pounds to 4 pounds, which is about what I used to set up my rifles. I think I'd set them up at about 2 pounds. So you can adjust that on your rifle yourself. Um, man, they're just absolutely awesome. I can't wait to get one in my hands and run some rounds through it. So uh, make sure to check them out if you're in the market for a new rifle, Savage Arms. And with that, man, we'll get into this podcast here. Um, man, I just got all my apps in. I'm, I'm just waiting patiently for results to come out. I've got a couple more apps to get in. I think I've got like Wyoming deer to get in and um, Arizona deer and sheep is coming up due and uh, maybe Idaho. I think that's what I have left on my list, but just getting super excited for this hunting season. Uh, spring bear opened up. So uh, today is, um, well, as I'm putting this podcast together, it'll be released to you guys, I believe, um, Thursday, uh, and I think Thursday, yeah, is the the twenty second of April. So, um, the the season opened on the fifteenth. Uh, so we don't have a lot of green grass yet. It's not quite right in my neck of the woods, but you can still find some of those early bears coming out of denning locations. So. Uh, I'll be out and on the hunt in the evenings here and uh, weekends and then starting to really get after it as it comes into prime time, late April, early May. Um, So I put together that solo bear podcast where I talked about some insight in that. Uh, I also have a couple guests um, that put together some good podcasts about bears and things. So I'll be releasing those. And man, I'm sitting on a, a few really good recordings right now. So excited to get those out to you. Uh, I think I'll record a new solo episode that I'll drop early next week. And uh, in that one, I'm going to talk about how to make a hunt plan. Uh, so now that you, you know, tag draws are starting to come out, like just how I go about making my hunt plan for that hunt specifically. So should make for a good podcast. We'll get that out to you guys and uh, keep things rolling. So uh, podcast today, Earl Stroh with no L. Uh, Brandon, his friend and business partner, Cutter Stabilizers. I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm here live. I've got my friend Earl Stroll on, and I've got his partner, Brandon, on. And so uh, these guys have started a new company, Cutter Stabilizers. And I've been using these stabilizers now for the last handful of years. And um, I'm just so happy for these guys. They've been working a full-time job, and this is a passion project for them. And um, I've been working with Earl, like I say, using these stabilizers for the last handful of years. And he's come on board as a partner with Eastman's Elevated. So, man, thanks, you guys, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's our pleasure. Yeah, so... Earl, like we've been in contact for the last handful of years. We've worked through the evolution of these cutter stabilizers. Man, I just think um, I think you're making such a great product that's so necessary for the archery market. So, man, I'm just so pumped to have you as a partner. 
Yeah, me too. And uh, I, I still remember the, the very first time I ever talked to you, I was going through some some really hard personal stuff with the loss of my younger sister. And uh, you, you gave me some really encouraging words to, to get me out and uh, <clears throat> just kind of appreciate the opportunity to be able to go hunt and gather my thoughts. And, uh, you know, from there, we, we kind of stayed in contact. And I came to you actually to do some prototyping when I was first trying to get that going. And uh, there's not a lot of people I know that hunt more than you. So it was it was a good good partnership, I think. And I'm I'm really happy that we're at the point where we are now to be able to support you back. Man, that's so cool. Yeah, uh, I, I can definitely put some wear and tear on some items. So, yeah, no, I was, I'm a great tester of uh, brutal yeah. gear. <laughs> I remember you, you flipped your motorcycle. I was like, oh, my gosh, Brian, can you break? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I, I did break one of your stabilizers early on from flipping a motorcycle and landing on it, but that was not your fault. <laughs> but, About as extreme as it gets. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm just so pumped for you guys, like this grassroots company that you had this vision and that you've kept to it. And, um, man, it, it isn't easy in today's day and age to build a business. Like, you've been at it for quite a while. When did you start building these, and when did you start Cutter Stabilizer? So we launched the brand in uh, June of 2019. I was kind of screwing around with, with different prototypes and uh, different designs. I think I made my first one in um february of that year of 2019 i was working at a machine shop doing something totally not archery related and um you know how bow hunting kind of seems to sneak back into the forefront of our mind i'm trying to scramble to think of how i can take my machining skills and, and bring it full circle back into the archery industry if you will and um I came out with that first one and stuck it on the bow. I was like, man, this is, this is going to be a game changer. I should, I should probably pursue this. And, uh, that's kind of, kind of where we started and things escalated quickly. You could say from there. Man, Brandon, have you been on board since the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. So, so me and Earl have been hunting together for, for years. Um, we grew up two totally different styles. I'm, I'm from Wisconsin originally. So, I was a tree stand whitetail guy, you know, and, and I never, uh, previous to meeting Earl coming out, you know, out west, hunting out west, um, a stabilizer actually it was never, it was never a thing back home. Uh, usually it just got in the way, you know, banging on a tree stand or something like that. And then Earl really kind of taught me the science behind it. And then when he, when he brought me this idea, um, I've, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. I own a couple of small businesses. Um, so he brought it to me and I was really, really excited because I knew Earl had the creative mindset to be able to pull something off. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have some money at that time to be able to throw out a project. And, um, you know, we started it with, with minimal, minimal investment. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been, you know, by Earl's side since day one. Um, and to see it grow into what it has is, is absolutely amazing. Oh, it is amazing. How cool. Um, yeah, it's it's like uh, it, you hit the perfect timing on the market too. Like it's such a such a great idea. Is, is like you say, stabilizers they weren't so popular in bow hunting. They were more popular for indoor archery, target archery, and, and really, it's just in like the last 
five years that I've really seen it taken off. And not that I was the, the first to use a stabilizer or anything like that, but I started using these stabilizers early on. Like I saw the benefit in it. And a lot of these stabilizers, guys would pay, you know, 60, 70, 100 bucks and it'd It'd just be like a little rubble, rubber 8-inch stabilizer on the front to kind of uh, dampen some of the vibration, but it didn't do anything for the hold or the reaction of the bow. And so I started paying attention to these tournament archers and, and 3D archers and their stabilizer setup, and, and it makes such a difference in the shooting and in the hold of that bow – and then it also makes such a difference in the reaction in the bow. And so I think your timing with the market is just perfect as well as bow hunters, you know, we're this constant evolution and we're trying to get more and more efficient and effective. And so like to, to have that come out on the market when bow hunters, you know, this day and age of information where they can really dive into it and then see the benefits out of it. It's just like it, it has to be catching fire for you guys putting out the best staves on the market. Totally. And it is. And I think a, a big part of that is I'm going to kind of go a really big circle here, but, you know, things are a lot more expensive nowadays and people have to work more to be able to afford them, you know, so you, you don't get as much time away from work in order to go hunting. Um, especially here in Colorado, you know, we, we have a lot of over-the-counter opportunity and uh, you might get one shot a season. Um, so looking at, you know, target archers, they, they shoot a, a dime sized target for a living. And why wouldn't you take from that, you know, that mindset of absolute accuracy and approach your hunting setup with the, that same mentality. So that's kind of where, where we were is, um, I, I love to tinker with everything. You know, it's, I've had five bows in the last two years. I think that's just <laughs> part of that that enjoyment of, of playing around and experimenting with my setup. So I think taking that to the mindset of creating a stabilizer to give the bow hunter, you know, target accuracy with unmatched durability and lightweight, like that's, that's kind of what we're going for. And, and that's what we nailed on the head. And there's, there's nothing really, really out there right now that, that we feel is, is going to kind of come close to what we're doing. I think you're spot on. Yeah, there's there's nothing that I'll use other than your stabilizers. I love the evolution of them too, Earl. How uh how strong your connection points are. Like uh, uh you're not gonna allow me to break one of those even if I flip off a motorcycle on it anymore. Like you've evolved your connections both in the front and the back, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we've we've got a another thing kind of in the works. Uh, we're developing the 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 bracketry to connect it to your bow. Uh, and that'll that'll be coming out in uh, mid-April for pre-order, and um, you know that's something that I've put in a ton of time into the design phase to to make sure that the prototyping phase goes super smoothly. Um, and you'll have one of those coming your way here pretty quick as soon as I get them. But uh, that's that's going to change the game. And uh, I mean, we we did it again, if you ask me. You know, I sat at a computer for six months beating my head against the wall on that thing and you know it's it's going to be a really really cool option for a lot of people and it's going to make a lot of guys really happy oh right on so that's like the sidebar uh bracketry right that's going to mount to the bow that's going to allow yep. that sidebar to come off yep sidebar um it's going to have both you know front and back 
quick disconnect options so you don't have to unscrew the entire thing to put it in your case or put it in your truck or, you know, however you, you store your bow. You know, I think a big thing for that is, um, you know, backpacking in, you have this, I know you shoot a 15 inch bar and sometimes having that thing sticking out, you know, laterally from your backpack when your bow strapped to it is can, you got to do some, uh, some twister to get through some, some brush sometimes with it sticking out that way. So being able to pop that off and, and store it and then put it back on quickly is, is a big benefit. And, uh, you know, we're going to make it even quicker and even easier to put it back on into, into shooting mode. Oh, wild. And, um, and then I'm, I'm sure like the way your brain works, so we can probably adjust it up and down, left and right, right to to on that sidebar. Every axis of adjustment is going to be there, and you're also going to have the option to kind of fine tune those axes of adjustment uh, in the initial setup process. Um, it's it's going to be cool, and I think you're going to like it. Man. Um, I can't wait. Like I, I know I switched to that 15 inch bar. Um, you were talking about that. I definitely don't want to try one any longer because every time I shoot a longer one, the better my bow holds and shoots. You know, <laughs> and I think I'm at about the max limit for bow hunters. But yeah, I'm shooting that 15 out front and that 12 in the back. I just notice a difference even from that 12 to 15 in the front. And and maybe we can kind of go through some of the the hold or some of the uh, benefits or the way you set it up. But it, it's amazing to me what a difference it makes in the hold and then also what a difference it makes in the reaction of the bow that, you know, not only does it, it slow down and make the aim slower, but you can also take, you know, left and right misses out and up and down misses just by where you move the angle of that back sidebar and adjusting the weight both front and back. Totally. Yeah. And there's a, uh... You know, from a basic standpoint, it's, it's, it's physics. You know, you, you probably have some people thinking right now, holy crap, you shoot a 15 inch front bar for your hunting setup. But, you know, there's, there's something to that in both the efficiency of the added weight and the amount of weight. You know, if you're shooting a six inch front bar, you're probably going to have to run two to maybe three times the weight on that bar in order to accomplish the same thing. So keeping that, lever arm longer you can keep your overall setup lighter and um you know kind of an example for your 15 and 12 inch bars together without external weight um you're looking at like five and three quarter ounces so i mean there's it's you know inconsequential for the the length you know that the difference between our shortest and longest bar is uh like three quarters of an ounce so that that's out of the equation anymore so I always suggest to shoot the longest possible bars that uh, you feel comfortable with, and um, you'll be able to accomplish the same thing with less weight on those bars. Oh, it makes sense. Brandon, what's your setup? What are you running on those bars? Yeah, so so I still, um, I've never quite been able to get away from my tree stand roots, um, so I always get a little bit hesitant with the long, long bar. Um, so I shoot a 10-inch with um, three ounces out front, uh, and it works really good for me. Earl still hasn't quite got me on the back bar setup yet. Um, but I know when these brackets are done, I'll definitely be running one. Um, you know, I've, I've, I love the 10 inch setup. It's, it's always been my go-to. It's, it's what I've shot best. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I like. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's it's the neat thing is that we're we're all individuals and we all have individual preferences. And so, like, as we set up our bow, you start to find, like, what's important to you and what's not. And like you say, a sidebar isn't right for everybody and a 15 isn't right for everybody. And a lot of people will pick up my bow and go, man, that's too heavy because I, I add weight to it. I think I shoot 10 ounces on the back and six on the front. So, you know, my bow's fairly heavy, but... Just like you were saying in, in the beginning, Earl, about, you know, making good on those opportunities is is I just I, I mess with my bow. I, I want it to be the very best shooter. And that's my moneymaker. Like on these hunts, all these successful hunts come down to making a shot. And those stabilizers just give me the confidence that I know I'm shooting, you know, the most accurate, most forgiving bow I can shoot. So for me, the 15 and the 12 work perfect. Uh, is that what are you running, Earl? So I've pretty much tried every single combination that there is um i really like the 15 and the 12 for 90 percent of the year um 3d season it just it's it's awesome um what i found that that works the best for me is a 12 front and a 10 back it just gives me a little bit more versatility um you know we hunt almost a month and a half of the season in a tree stand in Nebraska. So I don't want to screw around with retuning my bow and going back to that for, for just that one application. So the 12 inch and the 10 inch is kind of a good in between ground. And, um, another thing that I actually did last year is we had a ground blind set up in a particular area and that 12 inch bar was, was kind of tough to, to get into that ground blind. So all I did was I swapped my front and my back bar. So I had the 10-inch on the front and the 12 on the back. And, um, you know, your, your shots are going to be a lot shorter out of a blind, so you don't have to worry about that super long-range aspect as much. And, um, I mean, it was, it was way better. And just having that that option to, to run multiple different setups with something that you've already purchased is, is a thing that a lot of people will, will overlook. But... You know, again, it comes back to just experimenting and and trying different things out. Yeah, it's for that's, sure. It's also, Go ahead, Brennan. It's a big reason why we um, why we did the weights the way that we did the weights. Um, so so the weights are all interchangeable from stabilizer to stabilizer. If you have six ounces of weights from us, you can you can change it to to run two, three, four, five, six, whatever you want to do. Um, it, it was a really good idea that Earl had with the, with the weights when he came when he came up with the idea. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean that's one of the biggest benefits of running your stabilizers is like the a lot of the stabilizers that were being sold to bow hunters were just the weight they were. You didn't get to mess with the weights. You didn't get to stick one ounce extra on the front or one ounce extra on the back or interchange them or mix and match that weight. And so. Like it's one of the huge benefits of your stabilizers is it, is it set up like a like a 3D shooter or like a like a tournament shooter where you can really adjust the weight and and adjust the reaction and the hold of that bow by changing those weights. So where I have 10 ounces and six ounces on the front, I mean another guy his his setup might have six ounces on the back and three ounces on the front or whatever it is, and it just gives you something else to mess up mess with 
when you're fine tuning that bow, you know, like that's my final step uh, of getting my bow set is really messing with my angles of that stabilizers and the weight on that stabilizers to get the best groups I can get. So what's the, uh, what's the biggest stabilizer setup you've sold to a hunter so far, Earl? Oh boy, we've sold a ton of 12 inch and 10 inch combos, you know, 12 front, 10 back. And, you know, kind of going back to the, the weights as we offer them with, you can choose either three or six ounces with each bar that you purchase. So we'll get a lot of people that are purchasing, you know, a six ounce weight set for each bar just to, to give them a few extra ounces to, to play around with. And, um, you know, again, that customization is, is super important in order to, to figure out, you know, a lot of, a lot of people just take someone's word for it, but that's, you know, we're, we're in the day and age of, being able to experiment with with all these different options that are out there and really taking the time to to figure out what's going to work best for you is is a huge benefit and you know we we're very strong advocates for that and that's that's why we offer what we do i also think like um adding weight to those stabilizers on the bottom half of that bow tends to balance out that bow you know not only while you're shooting it but it also balances it out for like holding your bow and hiking with it so your bow isn't leaning and i think that weight like like i think it's almost easier to have eight extra ounces of weight than it is to have your bow lopsided and leaning at the top where you're constantly trying to to maneuver it with your forearms you know i know my bow is balanced perfectly and it carries really well that way totally yeah that makes makes a ton of sense and you know with the with the longer bar on the front um, you know, we get a lot of questions on, on how do you, how do you carry that thing around without it digging into the dirt? And it's pretty simple. You just point the, the front bar up vertically towards the sky and I stick my thumb on the, the shelf of the bow and I just, just carry it that way. And, and with the bow balanced perfectly, it's, it's kind of sits there. It's, it's pretty nice. Well, I don't know. Uh, well, I, I can tell you, Earl, because I've already told you before, before you've sent me these stabilizers, but I do use your stabilizer as a walking stick as well. <laughs> it's like it's it's a, a 15 inch bar and climbing uphill. You know, I can almost stick that stabilizer in the dirt as I'm climbing up the hill. <laughs> and um, so uh, anyways, like I, I know you know that I, I I'm hard on your gear, but yeah, I use it as a walking stick as well. But it does help going uphill and things being able to use it as a as a walking stick <laughs> i don't know if I, sh- I should say that to to help push your stabilizers but they work for that too uh they're they're definitely built durable yep totally and you know we we encourage people to use the heck out of them you know that's why we have a lifetime warranty and uh stuff can happen you know you can you can go over the handlebars or you can <laughs> drop your bow off a cliff or you know stuff happens and you know, you're, you're really making an investment in, in quality products. And, uh, you know, we understand that there's things that you can never account for when you're in the backcountry and you're really pushing hard. So that's, that's why we, we cover, cover our stabilizers for life. Okay. Good deal. Yeah. And, and Brandon, you were saying, uh, all your guys' stuff is American made as well. Yeah. It's, it's been, um, one of our driving factors since day one is to keep it all American made products, um, manufactured here. Um, so, so and, and it really was a challenge at first was to be able to find, um, the American made products was tough, but then to find, you know, as, as our cutter family's grown, so is our demand and finding guys that can manufacture and machine the stuff 
fast enough has been really challenging, you know, um, but so far we've done it. And, and um, I don't think we'll ever, ever get away from that. Man, that is great, guys. Solid work. Yeah, uh, that is tough to do, I know, in any industry. Um, yeah, and, and just, you know, also, you know, pricing, availability, like just the whole deal. And then trying to build this business through COVID, like, um, had to be tough. You guys have been through some trials and tribulations. Like, Earl, as an entrepreneur now, or like um, having your job and starting this business, like, what are some of the challenges or what did it take to grow this business into what it is now? Well, it definitely took a lot of caffeine, that's for sure. <laughs> um, just, you know, really, really staying focused. And I've, I've struggled with time management in the past, and, and I've had to really, really dive into utilizing my time as efficiently as possible in order to, to continue to get this thing to grow. And, um, you know, I, I still work a full-time job, and I, I do this, you know, in the evenings on my days off when, whenever I have time. So it's... It's getting close to, to taking over everything, which is which is awesome. You know, that's always been the goal, but uh, really using your time efficiently and, and not you know not screwing around on the phone, not watching TV. Um, you know, I I exercise every day. You know, it's it's just you're going to make time for the things that you want to do. And seeing this growth from this company over the last two and a half years is it's it's inspiring and it's motivating to to keep it going. So when you put in, you know, so much effort and you're actually seeing a return, it's, it's easy. It's fun. And yeah, I, I love doing this and it's so cool to, to see the, the trophy photos pour in and, and see people that are just, you know, loving these things and, and being successful with them. So that's, that's what motivates me to continue to do this. Yeah, that's awesome guys. Um, that's what it takes, isn't it? And you get this vision. Nothing happens right away. It's like uh, you have to kind of build it brick by brick. Any business, you know, any relationship, anything you do in life, like it just doesn't happen the right now. You know, it like it takes a while. You have to have this purpose and you have to keep working at it and keep grinding and keep putting in the effort. In the In the beginning, you're not getting paid for any of your time. So all this evening time you're talking about, all this – you know, off work time you're talking about, you know, you put all this work into it and you haven't made a dollar in the beginning. You're not even sure if it's going to pay off, but you have this bigger vision and this bigger goal and this this idea. And you just day in, day out, you keep putting forth the work. And it's amazing what you can build. And, and you are really in a short time, in a couple of years. And it's because you hit the, the market perfectly that us bow hunters are in need of these kind of stabilizers. And you're producing, you know, the highest end products that, that you can build, you know. So I, I can see why. But it, it just nothing happens overnight. You have to be patient and stay the course. Would you agree? Totally. Yep. And I think, you know, another, another factor to our success is, is our involvement in the brand and, you know, really living, living the, the culture and the lifestyle that is, is bow hunting. You know, we're not, we're not making target bars. We're not making anything else except bow hunting specific products. And I think that goes a long way. And, you know, like on the website, on the, uh, the article library, I was writing an article a week on just various different things that, you know, it's, it's a really good resource for people. And, you know, I refer people who, who are newer to hunting to that all the time because there's a little bit of everything on there and just truly 
immersing ourselves and our customers into what this means to us and when why we obsess all year long over a couple weeks is is why we do what we do and i think that uh that's pretty apparent we don't want to just be a brand we want to be you know someone that, that you can come to for for information for technical knowledge and for someone to to show your first first big game archery kill to and it's going to be stoked just like you were oh you're right um you're you're living the life you're living the ethos that you put out there it, and um yeah, you, you didn't you didn't build this company as a money making company. You built this company out of necessity for needing good stabilizers, and then once you built them for yourself, you realized that there you know there was a need in the market for it. But yeah, you're living that life, Earl. Uh, you're in, you're out, and I'm sure Brandon, you are too. That Western hunting, once it becomes hunting season, takes over your life, and I I see you out bow hunting like a madman and trying to evolve your skills at all times too. You're you're constantly trying to get better, and you're constantly constantly working at it you you love to to elk hunt and to antelope hunt i see a lot and especially cutter stabilizers are named after antelope so you must love chasing those things with your bow i do it's it's my favorite and i'm i'm still uh let's see like seriously hunting them this will be my fourth season and i'm still without killing one which drives me nuts but uh, I'm I'm too stubborn to sit in a ground blind. I just I won't do it. So it's it's all spot and stock and you know over the counter units or easy to draw units here in Colorado get pounded during rifle season. So um, when you get in there during archery, they are they're super spooky and uh, you know it's one of my favorite references is imagine trying to sneak up on your buddy in the middle of a parking lot and he's looking for you with binoculars. That's, that's kind of what it's like. <laughs> I, I hadn't heard that one, but I really like it. That's about right. And your, and your buddy has eight by binoculars for vision too. <laughs> yep. Yep. And there's, you know, the, the terrain here is, it's tough, man. And I'll, I'll watch videos of guys, you know, with, you know, chest high sage and, you know, stuff to actually hide behind. So I'm like, oh, I want that. I just, I want that instead of this shin high grass that we have here. It's, it's so tough. <laughs> Well, your day is coming for sure. And just to let you know, when I started hunting antelope with my bow, it took me three seasons before I harvested my first antelope. And uh, it was one of the toughest endeavors I, I ever took on. And and still to this day, like I, I'm pretty good at capitalizing on my opportunities on these antelope. But uh, year in, year out, like uh, a lot of years I look at my season and antelope are the toughest to harvest. Yeah, they just have such good eyesight. But you're, you're right about the topography that you hunt. In. You'll have to get up here to like Montana or Wyoming where we have a ton of topography and then a ton of antelope during that bow season. Uh, you would have a riot out here doing that, but uh, you stay the course. You got to get your Colorado antelope first. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to. And, you know, I've, I've come close. Last year I skimmed one of them's back. It was the, the biggest one I saw all season. It was the last day. And, uh, he ducked my arrow. It's the third one that's ducked my arrow. So they're, uh, they've got a vendetta against me. And, you know, I'm, I just love it. It's just fun. You know, such, such a high stock percentage. And it really teaches you a lot about, you know, how to read the topography and how to use what you have and, and how to 
you know, what you can and cannot get away with and when to move fast, when to move slow. There's, there's just so much knowledge to be had there if you're willing to pull some cactus out of your elbows. <laughs> you're so spot on. <laughs> like it, it is such a great learning tool, you know, hunting those antelope. Um, in, in a lot of years I get done and it's like my funnest hunt of the year because you don't spend your whole season looking for one to stalk. You spend your whole season stalking one, trying to kill it. And so you just get like a lot of those, the, those intense adrenaline filled moments, you know, trying to get it right on those antelope. And you're right, uh, man, they are good. Like they were, they're like people, um, you know, you can rifle hunt antelope, but when you take a bow and arrow after antelope, spot and stalk on the ground, like they're just made for like seeing danger inside that hundred yards. They're so switched on. Um, they can just be so tough to harvest. And then, like you say, you can do everything right, and those buggers will jump your string. You know, they're um, <laughs> they're so quick. You know, and and I've actually had to stop shooting in an antelope because he jumped my string three times. You know, <laughs> like the same <laughs> antelope, and it was like I can't even shoot at that thing anymore. I'm gonna shoot my whole quiver at him. So they yeah. do jump the string pretty bad. I've said like one in three before, but that might be closer to fifty percent. Yeah, and I don't. I just I remember. I think it was two years ago or three years ago. I got in to uh, 67 yards on, on a buck, and it was just you know picture perfect stock. I spotted him from a long ways away, snuck up right behind the crest of a little hill, and I peeked over, and he was out there with two does. And I was just you know I was super surprised that they were still there. It was an over the counter unit. His two does came into 40 yards of me, and he stopped at 67. You know, I got a good range and uh, let it rip. And by the time my arrow got to him, he was four feet away. <laughs> I did the math on that. That's three quarters of a second. Gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, that's that's right. I've done the math on that feet per second as well. Yeah, four feet away in three quarters of a second. Yeah, that's just that is insane. Yeah, when antelope jump your string. It's not like they duck it like a whitetail will because whitetail shots are usually closer out of those tree stands. And so, like, like when you shoot at, at, at a whitetail, you know, they duck to take that bound and to go, and your arrow ends up hitting higher over the top of them. But with antelope, you know, most of the shots are, like you say, 40, 50, 60 yards, uh, even out to 70 or so. And so, yeah, that by the time the arrow gets there, those antelope, they could have turned and take three steps before your arrow even gets there. They're so quick. Um, yeah, Brandon, yeah. have you had a chance to chase them around there in Colorado as well? You know, I haven't. Uh, Earl tries every year to get me to go out there and chase them around. And uh, the allure of, of all the things that I'm allergic to mixed with getting poked and, and uh, <laughs> not quite there yet, but um, I'll get there. Oh yeah, you got to try it. Like uh, you get hooked on it once you go out. So, what what's your um, big species or big hunt that you do in Colorado? There, are you an elk guy, mule deer guy, or do you still have those whitetail roots and just love to chase whitetails around? You know, I, I spend two weeks every year um, chasing elk uh, out on the western slope with some buddies back from Wisconsin. Um, we've done it three years in, in a row now. Um, but you. Uh, it takes a lot for me not to be in a tree stand pretty much half of October and November. Um, I am addicted to whitetail hunting. I love it. 
Oh, good for you. It, it's um again, we're all just individuals, and it's funny how something grabs a hold of us. You know, antelope for you, Earl, and Earl, I know you hunt elk too, and you're real passionate about all your bow hunting. But it is funny how these species kind of grab a hold of us, you know, and, and and how we enjoy them, and then that's what all our daydreaming goes to, and 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 thoughts, and then we put all our effort into that. And um, yeah, you you whitetail guys like um those whitetail. Man, they're super switched on. They're just like this great species that's so their their instincts are so keen at living in small areas. Like they can live on a small farm that's only a handful of acres and nobody even sees them in the daylight. Like they just get really crafty, you know, especially as they get that that older age class, you know, and they are just such a beautiful deer when they start to get older and get that mass and that uh that wide muscular front chest, you know, those big bucks and things. So I can see why you're hooked on it. It's just um it's so great that we we all get to to, to find our own species that we love, whether it's mule deer or antelope or whitetail. And then, you know, the real fortunate thing is we get to take part in some of these other seasons too. Like um like you two weeks, you know, hunting with your buddies for elk. That's a riot. And what I found these um stabilizers really help me with elk so antelope a lot of the shots are longer they're a real small target and so it's like the perfect name for your stabilizer company cutter stabilizers because you need to be shooting stabilizers when you're hunting antelope but i also think it's just as important for hunting elk you know elk are just such a tough animal you know the the elk are such a big animal they're so tough and and it seems like with elk you have to put a perfect shot on them like I'm almost pickier with elk than I than I am other species, just as far as angle and my shooting window, making sure I'm getting that good broadside or quartering away, because I just know you can't make any mistakes on elk. It's got to be lungs, heart, or liver, or they don't die, and it's got to be like the center of those two. Uh, you can't hit one with one lung or the edge of the lungs and think you're going to get them, because they just, they'll go forever, so... I think those stabilizers are super important for hunting elk and putting those precise shots on them because when you put the right shot on an elk, he doesn't even make it out of sight or he doesn't even make it 100 yards. But, boy, if you don't, uh, uh, you're in for some heartache because those elk will go and go and go. Definitely. And Each animal just has its own kind of you know challenge. You think about elk hunting um, – you get that bugle and, and it's a ways away and you're, you're hoofing it across the mountain and you do get your shot opportunity and you're out of breath and, and you know, you're tired. You need every advantage you can over that animal. And, um, you know, the stabilizer comes into play there. You think about what really got us going with Cutter was Earl being out chasing the antelope around. And, um, if, if you haven't been out in eastern Colorado in those plains fighting the wind, man, you haven't lived because it, it, the wind is just, brutal out there and you're looking at a 65 yard shot on a, on a small little antelope again you need every single advantage you can get and um well, that stabilizer is you know it's definitely not the end all be all advantage but you know when you need every little advantage you can get it definitely helps oh that's a really good point brandon yeah i hadn't thought of that but you're right when you're when you're hiking those mountains, like you're never at your best taking those shots. You're always on uneven terrain, uh, in the wind. And, and that's the other thing. I don't know if I already mentioned that, but your carbon fiber, um, bars, they're such a small diameter that, it, that they catch way less wind than any other bar out there, which really helps on making those windy shots. But 
you're right in just the hold of those stabilizers are going to help when those conditions are all working against you. It just gives you forgiveness in the bow. And you say it's not the end-all, be-all, but I don't know. You can't take my stabilizers from me. Like I, They're with me on every single hunt. Like I, It just builds confidence in my bow and confidence in my shooting that I know I could shoot without a stabilizer, but I choose to never do that. <laughs> right, yeah. totally. You think about some of those older stabilizers with the big web. You know, the, It was all about design back in the day and how crazy cool you can make it look. And, um, you take, you take one of those older stabilizers out, out east with those, you know, the big webbing, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you let that catch the wind and best of luck. Tie a kite <laughs> to the front of your, let it go. Oh man. Yeah. You aren't hitting an antelope with that thing. And the wind's always blowing on that prairie too. When you're hunting antelope, it seems like you always have a wind, you know? And so, yeah, you have to be able to, to shoot in that wind. Um, but yeah, they just help so much with every aspect of it. And I think it's like this newer age of bow hunting where all of us are, are looking into every advantage we can get. And especially, you know, you, you need to be able to capitalize on opportunities like Earl said in the beginning of the podcast. And and these things just help you capitalize on those opportunities, making your shot. So, man, I believe in them wholeheartedly. Totally. I think there's another place that it's it's often windy that you can probably relate to, and that's at 12,000 feet on top of a mountain looking for mule deer. Oh, man. <laughs> it's always blowing up there. Well, and they're always such steep angle shots. They're always such a high degree of difficulty up there. And, yeah, that's where I started. That's where I really found the need for stabilizers and started looking into them and getting more of them because, you know, shooting in the backyard – it is way different than shooting up there at twelve, thirteen thousand feet on uneven terrain with the wind blowing and down a steep angle. Like those are, that's a tough degree of difficulty shot. And and stabilizers just help me to to be able to make those tough shots. They just make for a more forgiving bow. So yeah, man, um, wholeheartedly, I I just believe in those things. I I know they make me a better shooter. So and and it is kind of fun when you're setting up that bow too is not only getting the most forgiving settings and tuned into that bow, but then messing with that stabilizer. It's about a month process for me of moving that stabilizer around and uh, taking group measurements and making sure I'm getting the most out of those stabilizers. But when I get all said and done, I swear I'm shooting the most forgiving setup out there. Yeah, and it's it's fun to to just see it all come together and then you you know, you get to the the range or the three D course in, in preparation for your season and just letting those shots go and having them hit where you want, there's there's no better feeling in the world. And just entering that opening day of season, knowing that if you get an opportunity, there's a there's a high likelihood that uh, it's going to come together for you. It's, it's pretty awesome. Man, I bet it's up to your 3D game. Yeah, it has. And, you know, 3D is 3D is fun because you get you get some of the, uh, you know, the realistic angles and different distances and there's no spot and uh you know there's a lot of things that that carry over really well you're you're hiking around so you got a sweat going you might be a little out of breath and you got people watching you so it's it adds a little bit of pressure there and you know we do those uh the mountain archery fest we have a booth at those events and, and that's a that's a pretty cool event um getting to shoot at those uh the animals with the the giant reproduction antlers of the Pope and Young Records is just pretty awesome. And Brandon puts on a heck of a shoot, doesn't he, with that MAF? 
Um, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to make one happen this year. I got to team up with you. So you're going to be at a lot of the shoots and have a booth open there. I think we're going to be at all of them as, as far as I know, unless something, something falls apart. But, uh, yeah, that's, isn't it interesting how many Brandons there are in this industry? It's become kind of funny for me. <laughs> yeah, that's like all you work with, Earl is Brandon. I know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Got to start calling you guys by last name. How do I pronounce your last name, Brennan? Uh, Langowitz. Okay, it's gotcha. Polish roots from back in the Midwest. I, I saw it on the screen and got scared to pronounce it at the beginning of the <laughs> podcast, so I thought I'd ask you. <laughs> I don't blame you. Every now and then it intimidates me as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you guys are just putting out awesome products. Like, um, I, I can't wait to see that sidebar mount you come out with and um, those cutter bars. Do you, do you have a name for those cutter bars? Is that like an evolution or they're just all standard bars now? Is that right, Earl? Yeah, so now they're just the just our we got four sizes, the eight, ten, twelve and fifteen and they got kinda cool little, you know, practical names for, for where they're they're best suited or you know, so that the eight inches, the elevate pro, the ten inches, the utility pro, um, the twelve is the altitude pro and the fifteen is the uh pronghorn elite. Oh, way cool. I I like the names too. And and where can guys find these at? So we're at cutterstabilizers.com is the main website. Um, Instagram is cutterstabilizers official or cutterstabilizers. We got both pages and then, uh, I got a YouTube channel that someday I might have time to put some stuff on. Oh, way cool. Are you sitting on some footage? Uh, a little bit. Um, I try to record all my hunts just, just more so for, for me to be able to go back and watch them. But man, that's, that's a whole nother wormhole to dive down is, is the video stuff. And you really have to be committed to, to filming. You know, my dad shot a bull last year and I was standing over his shoulder without a camera in my hand because I chose to pick up the rangefinder for him instead of the camera. So it's, you know, it's, you have to really commit to, to filming those things if you're going to do it. I know it's such a balance, isn't it? Like I, I have to balance it too with personal enjoyment and then capturing the hunt. For me, it's like the right mix and match to choose like a couple hunts a year that it's like, okay, I'm all in. I'm a hundred percent, but I know what you're saying. I've been in that same situation you were in with your dad where you want your buddy to be successful or your dad in that case. And so you just want to help him any way you can. And you're more of a help with the range finder, giving him a range than you are with a camera trying to record, you know? And so it's like this tough balance, but yeah, I, I've got a couple of my buddies trained pretty good now where they know they're, they're on their own as far as range finding and I'm going to capture it on the camera and, and vice versa when I'm stalking, but you get pretty good at like, um, at hunting with two guys, which is amazing. You'd think it'd, it'd be worse or more difficult, but actually having two guys, one guy in the lead position and one guy in the back position, you can be highly effective bow hunting that way. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. And You know, I've, I've had hunts where I just, I told myself I was going to, going to film the entire thing. And then I've had hunts where like last year in Nebraska, I, I purposely didn't film at all because I wanted to just, you know, sit there and, enjoy it firsthand and you know think about the experience and think about whatever i wanted to aside from filming so i think it's you know you got to do both and you can't look through a lens in order to watch the hunt all the time you have to to really take it in and, and appreciate it you know firsthand while it's happening sometimes so true yeah i mean it's the reason we do it and um 
Yeah, you you can't get too caught up where, you, like you say, you're just looking through a viewfinder the whole time at, at wild planet Earth and what's going on around you, you know. So they are fun to capture, but it's also fun to just go for the enjoyment of the hunt. What were you hunting last year in Nebraska? Oh, so there's whitetail and mule deer out there um, on the majority of the properties that, that we're able to hunt. Um, but uh, mostly whitetail. There's only one of them that has uh, muleys on it, too, and... They seem to kind of be in a couple different stands, but not all of them. It's, it's pretty interesting, but that's, that's one thing I, you know, I never thought I'd get into to whitetail hunting from a tree stand until I went and did it. And now that's, that's one of my favorite hunts out of the year. You know, I, it's kind of like you say, when, uh, when, whatever you're hunting, that's your favorite at that time. It's just, they're all cool. They're all so much fun. Oh, I, I like stand. that too. Go ahead, Brennan. A little tree stand therapy. Yep. Man, that's it. Well, and it's it's not easy either. Like, it's such a chess game for those whitetails and hunting out of a tree stand where you'll sit, not second-guessing it, and it's a different kind of toughness. It isn't like a, a toughness where you have to put on a million miles or climb to the top of this peak. Like, the grind is different. It's a mental grind. It's like a day-in, day-out. It's a all-day sit. It's a making yourself stay there and then believing in the place that you choose and not second-guessing go, oh, I should be over there. The, the grass is greener over there. It's such a chess match, and it's such – you know, it's endurance-based as well as you have to put so many, so much time and so many hours into those stands. And then, like, I, I always thought, oh, well, um, you sit in a tree stand. Well, then you have a really good opportunity when you see those deer. But those deer are switched. Those whitetails are switched on, and they know to look up nowadays. And so you, it's almost like being on a stock on a deer. Like, when they come into range, you can hardly move. They pick up that movement up there, and then that can blow the whole scenario. So, like, having a whitetail in range is one thing. Like, getting a shot at them is a whole nother thing, just like western hunting. Like, getting into bow range is one thing. Getting a shot at that animal is a whole nother thing, you know, with them moving and getting the right angle and then picking, like, the the right time to, to try to draw your bow or to try to capitalize on that opportunity. I mean, there's a reason why there's more whitetail hunters in the United States than anything else because it's fun and it's challenging you know so man i see it good for you you try to make that trip every year earl yeah yeah we go out there um so a typical season for me kind of starts out in mid-august for antelope and then we go through uh the end of september for uh deer and elk here in colorado and then pretty much after you know, October 1st, we're heading out to, to Nebraska to, to set cameras and, and put up some stands and we'll usually hunt for a couple of days. And then, you know, after that, it's, it's full bore, you know, tree stand time and we'll hunt from October 1st through the end of November. And you know, we were even out there last year, December 30th and 31st. It's a really long archery season out there. So lots of opportunity and you get into that late season and it's a lot of opportunity to freeze your butt off in a tree stand. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. There is nothing dang colder than sitting in that tree stand for an all day sit. Like I just couldn't believe, like I'm used to Western hunting where I get to move to keep warm or, you know, or I can build a fire or whatever the case is. 
I started that whitetail hunting. I mean, the first day I froze my ass off in that stand. Yeah. Like it's just That's... standing still, like not moving. You you just um it. So like the next day, I put on another layer, and I still got cold. And by the end, I had on everything I own trying to sit in that tree stand just to try to keep warm. But it's a totally different game that you've got to dial in, like any other hunting. So uh, Brandon, where do you do most of your whitetail hunting? Do you go um, back to your home state, or do you hunt them in Colorado, or do you travel? to like uh, some of these other states as well um it's the last few years it's been um i, I was blessed with um my my wife's father-in-law owns quite a bit of land out in nebraska so um you know i'll make a trip back to wisconsin once every few years like i'll go back this year and i'll, I'll spend some time in wisconsin um, but most of it is is in in nebraska um it, just because it's you know we we have a, the ability to hunt private land back there um I haven't, I haven't, I did some, some Wyoming, uh, deer hunts two years ago. Uh, but most of it's Nebraska. I, I really, for us, it's a five hour drive, um, from Denver out to, out to the farm. Um, and, and we got, it's just a beautiful, it, spending so much time in Denver, getting the opportunity to go out to small town, Nebraska. It, every piece about it for me is just therapy. I grew up in a town of 104. So when I can go back to small town, I just, I take every advantage I can to go out there. Um, bulk of it's Nebraska, though. I, I love that place. Man, how cool. It looks like a really fun state. It's one of the states I've never been, but looks like they have great deer populations. And then it, it tends to be more open terrain. Is that right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of a mix, but uh, a lot of river bottom. Um, and then there's, you know, a bunch of agriculture as well. But the, the cool part is, is you have the, the coolies and uh, the topography and that's that's where the mule deer are a lot of the time but it's it's just such a such a mix of different terrain that there's there's a little bit of something for everybody out there it's it's pretty cool it's, it's always changing you know your hunt in september and october versus november december is totally different because you know you, you might be sitting somewhere with 500 acre cornfield in one day they come through and they clean off that cornfield and everything about your setup has just changed. <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's a, I, it is just a fascinating place for me to hunt. Um, awesome, awesome place. What a chess game. How many stands do you guys usually take out with you when you go hunting? Do you have like multiple stands to choose from or do you just have one that you're going to sit or how do you go about it? It is, you hit it on the head with the chess game piece of it, you know, it seems like we add two or three stands to, to our to our pile out there. And, um, you know, me and Earl went back and forth last year. We sat, there was points where we sat, what do you think that setup was, or 150 yards apart? Yeah, yeah that was a cool setup. Big, yeah. You know, yeah. we were 150 yards apart. We could see each other from the stands, but you couldn't see what the other person could see out of the stand, you know. Um, and, and I would see a dozen deer in a sit, and Earl would see nothing. And the next, you know, the next morning he would see a dozen deer and I would see nothing. Um, you know, cause it's, it's just, you got the thickets and you got the fields and you got the, the, it's just, it's an incredible place. But, you know, we, we set up, uh, I bet we had well over a dozen stands last year. I think and so. every morning it was a, every morning it was a, I don't know, should we go here? Should we go there? And, um, usually it was last minute once you get out there, you just pick one and go. But, you know, we, we had them set up all over and you sit there and be like, damn, I should just, if I would have put it 50 yards down the trail that way, I would have been money. And then, <laughs> you know, 
And then you go check a trail camera and you had a, you had a 140 walk by a stand that you didn't even think would be a good stand that day. Oh, that's been my experience whitetail hunting exactly to a T. <laughs> it's always like the wrong spot at the wrong time. They're just crafty, aren't they? And they're, uh, you know, you can dial them in a little bit in the early season or they're more patternable, but gosh, it gets to that late season and they're just roaming around that, uh, some of that muley hunting sounds like fun out there too in those coolies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's, we haven't really committed to that yet because, you know, normally when we're out there, it's, it's the rut. And, um, you know, we have mule deer here in Colorado, so it's kind of like 100% commitment to, to trying to, to shoot a nice whitetail out there. And that's not as accessible here in Colorado. There are some, but, uh, you know, there's majority of private land or the rest of them are, uh, you know, kind of walk in public areas where you'll have guys sit in a tree stand 12 yards away from you. And it's, it's kind of, I would probably equate it to hunting mule deer on the Wasatch, but for whitetails. Gotcha. Yeah, it's um, yeah. It, it's always nice to get away from that hunting pressure and have your own experience, you know. So, yeah, I, I definitely get you there. But, um, yeah, you you almost have to commit to one species or the, or the other, right, to mule deer to whitetail. Because to kill a good, mature whitetail, it takes total commitment of being in those stands day in, day out. And you give up one day, you know, to go chase some muleys and the coolies, and all of a sudden that's that one day that that big buck came by that stand, you know. So it, it does take a commitment to the species that you want to hunt. Totally, yep. The other, I mean, the other really fun thing about the thing that we've had the the pleasure of doing is is some true management out there, you know, because whitetails are they're not they don't just roam, you know, they're, they're patterned. They, they're, they have their home base. So, you know, we've been out there, we've been hunting out there, you're four, four or five years, something like that. I think um, five. Yeah. You know, running trail cameras in the same, you know, thousand acre setups, we're able to watch those deer kind of grow and, and we can manage it. And there's just nothing like it in my opinion. Man, that's really cool. So now you're starting to see some of your, um, your management practices come into play with like growing bigger bucks out there, huh? Yeah. I mean, we initially, when we initially start hunting out there, you know, it, there's a lot of deer. Um, but we never really saw, um, anything real impressive. And I'd say these last two years after, you know, really, you know, dialing it in and figuring out where to stand placement and, and figuring out how the wind works down there. And, um, we were able to kind of, refine our setups and the last two years both Earl and I have had at least a shot opportunity at a 150 or more um with that being said you know a lot of miles were put on the trucks and a lot of hours were sat in those stands um but it is it's really fun to be able to manage it and and see the animals grow and something yeah, good for you guys. Yeah, it sounds like a fun trip. Well, and, and a lot of this is like enjoying what's right around you. And when you live in Colorado, like you say, your guys' drive is five, six hours over there. So that's a quick trip for you and something that you plan on doing every year where, you know, me to go to Nebraska, geez, I'd had 25, 30 hours into trying to get over there. So it's just not feasible for me. Like, you know, for me, some of these closer states like Idaho and Wyoming and even North Dakota are like more in reach for me, you know, to where, um, you know, I can get to them in that, that, that short time window. So it is about enjoying like what's right around you and then enjoying those states that are right around you too. So you guys are doing a good job at taking advantage of that. Sure. Yeah. And it's, it's fun. And, 
you know, a, a struggle that, that personally I have is, you know, I, I have a lot of two day hunts, a lot of three day hunts because, um, you know, starting a business really doesn't create more time. Imagine that. But, uh, <laughs> um, so I have to do a lot of, a lot of recon as much scouting as I possibly can. And, and I think unfortunately for my schedule last year, I was bitten by the high country mule deer bug. So, uh, that's, that's gonna take up a lot of time this summer for me is, is getting into this unit as long as I draw the tag, which I should, but, uh, spend as much time over the summer in there as I can and just making the most of those, those two, three day hunts. Um, and then I go out, you know, hunt elk with my dad. That's, that's been a thing that I've done since I started bow hunting, uh, 18 years ago. So I haven't missed a year with him. Uh, and it's just making the most of, of the hunting time that you do have. You know, not everybody has a month off of work to, to be able to, to commit to a hunt. So you have to have to try hard when you're there. You know, you get up early, go at it all day long, go to bed late. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been successful on elk two of the last four years and, and every year for deer. And it's, it's because of my commitment to this and, and the amount of time that, that I, spend preparing for those short hunts yeah early can be more spot on yeah that's like exactly right and you know and i'm pretty fortunate to get a lot of time nowadays but it, it wasn't always that way and like you say you start a business it doesn't create more time it creates more responsibility and less time you know so while building my construction company man, I, I was just pressed. I've, I've been a weekend warrior almost my entire life. Like I'd have one week that I could take off a season, you know, and, and sometimes I'd go to take off that week. And, um, you know, back when I had a boss, I remember I was going to take off a September. I had told him about it in the summer. And then when it came time, he said, you can't take off and we need you here, you know, like had to cancel my vacation. So man, I, I mean, I feel you that weekend warrior, like, um, that is who I am. That is like, uh, uh, how I accomplish most of my my bow hunting feats are, are just like um you say making the most of your time and that's not only hunting time but that scouting and research and having a good game plan and then um just like you stated it you stated it perfect but once you're on those hunts you got to give it your all you got to put forth maximum effort and just try to give yourself a chance at success so uh you couldn't be more spot on um it's one of the things I I love, man, is like um, your grassroots. You're just one of us that uh, loves to bow hunt and came up with this idea for a business and now have put in this time and effort and, um, you know, building building this great business that hopefully is going to get you some more free time in the future. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the goal. And I think I might be able to uh, take off September this year. That's That's been my goal. And uh, we'll see how it goes. But... Uh, I, I, that's always been a been a goal of mine is to be able to take off the full month and just just do what we love. And uh, I'm sure once I do that, I probably won't want to work in September ever again. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's just it's it's the dream, you know. And, and we're we're working towards that dream every day, and it's it's becoming closer and closer and more attainable every single day as well it's just it's such a super cool feeling and the, the sense of accomplishment that that i feel and i'm just you know i'm grateful and i'm grateful for the support of our customers for the support of people that believe in this vision like i have and it just it makes me so happy and it makes me want to work twice as hard 
God, man. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, um, man, you just built um, – you build the best stabilizers, those cutter stabilizers, and um, you're just a really good, hardworking person. So uh, I, I'm just so excited to be partnered with you and um, hopefully can get some traffic your way of other hardcore bow hunters that haven't heard of your stabilizers before. And, and uh, man, I just want to continue the relationship. So uh, you just let me know whenever you want to come on the podcast, and we'll record another one. But uh, I – I really appreciate you, and um, man, I, I, I'm a huge supporter of your stabilizers and your company, and, and just couldn't be happier happier partnering with you. So, um, man, just wish you all the success. Thanks, Brian. I really appreciate it. And I did put in for a, a cow moose tag this year, so we'll see if I draw that. Maybe I can get back on and, and go, over, go over that experience. So that'd be kind of cool. Oh, man, anytime. Yeah, yeah, let's reconnect after hunting season. All right, sounds I'm, good. I mean, we'll keep in touch throughout then. But, yeah, we we'll definitely have you back on the podcast after hunting season. So uh, thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. Anything I forgot to mention about Cutter Stabilizers? I think that's it, Brian. CutterStabilizers.com, Cutter Stabilizers Official on Instagram. Those are the two best ways to uh, get in touch with us. All right. Thanks, Earl. I appreciate you. All right, Brian. Thanks. All right, guys. That's a wrap. A fun conversation with those guys, and I just wish them all the best. It's so fun to 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 watch Earl grow this company and um, to be part of it. So uh, happy to be partnered with those guys and and to uh, watch their success. And again, just great products. I'm sold on them. I've uh, been using them the last few years, and and um, that 15 out front, 12 in back is a shooter setup. Let me tell you, that thing just holds, and then um, such forgiving reaction out of the bow. So. I'm just super pumped at them, or on them, and uh, they have absolutely everything you need for sidebar stabilization. Uh, Sidebars are getting more popular. I mean, 10 years ago, you didn't see anybody hunting with a sidebar, and now I'd say it's probably half and half, and um, so yeah, it's uh, fun to watch the trends of the bow hunting world, and stabilizers are definitely one of them. And uh, Cutter definitely fills a niche in that industry. So uh, thanks to those guys uh, for coming on the podcast and sharing. And uh, make sure to go check them out, Cutter Stabilizers. Also, make sure to check out Savage Arms if you're in the need of a new rifle. Um, super psyched to get one built up. I mean, uh, I am such a bow hunter at heart, and I love these archery hunts. But, um, you know, I go hunting with buddies that, that use rifles, and it'd be nice to just have one that's all set up for them that I trust. Uh, also my daughters and um, then there's some hunts that are just necessary with a rifle and so uh, you know I always take on these bow challenges but something like wolf hunting in the winter you know that is a rifle hunt and so that is one I will be using a rifle on you know getting this thing built for that and then also you know I hunt a lot of general rifle seasons like I hunt um, Montana for deer late season general rifle and um you know, hunting with my bow, if something was to happen, I could always finish the deal with the rifle. So, like, uh, if I was to hit a deer bad and he was wounded or something like that, I should have a rifle in my truck that I can go grab, that uh, I can trust, that I know can shoot, that I can finish the deal if need be. So, there's a few of these instances where I can really use this thing. And, and um, you know, who knows? There's so many opportunities with different weapons out there. And, I, uh, you know, that I... I may take on, you know, I may find something else that works perfect for that rifle. So I'm super excited to get this thing built and run some rounds through it. 
Uh, these things are just known for their out-of-the-box accuracy, so so pumped to get one built up. So if you're in the market for a new rifle, make sure to check out Savage Arms. That one that those Eastman's guys really like is that 110 Ultralight. Let me, let me pull that thing up. Yeah, 110 Ultralight. Man, that thing looks like a sweet rifle. Under six pounds, just a great mountain rifle with great accuracy. Uh, so super pumped to be representing those guys as well. Um, yeah, and thanks to you guys for the support. Um, man, I just can't wait to come into this hunting season. Um, I've been fishing quite a bit. Spring's my, my season for fishing, but haven't been neglecting my training. <laughs> Uh, just getting a bunch of shooting, a bunch of running in, uh, getting in my weight training. And, and then too, like I, I love chasing this, uh, big browns and fly fishing across the West. And you can check out, uh, my other fly fishing specific podcast. I'm sure I've mentioned it to you guys a bunch, but Eastman's Flycast, super fun. I had Dylan on talking about one of our epic trips from the spring. And then I have him back on this week talking about another epic trip we did together, uh, where he came over to my neck of the woods and we fished a couple different systems and got them pretty good. So, um, yeah, super fun. And, um, Love doing that in the off season, and so uh, just kind of finishing up that spring fishing season, and now starting to get after those spring bears. Uh, can't wait to chase those things around, and uh, I'm on a good streak with bears in my bow, and um, yeah, I, I got a really good one last year. I was so pumped on, you know, just big old pumpkin head on them. So uh, looking for a special deer, uh, special bear this year. Gosh, I'm losing my mind. Uh, looking for a special bear this year that's got a big pumpkin head that I'll be psyched with, and so. Uh, really, I'm just going to get a bunch of hunting days looking for that one bear that I know will be my dream bear. So um, can't wait. Going to help buddies along the way. Uh, so starting to put together dates for when guys are coming out and hunting together and um, should be super fun. And it all kicks off now. Um, so we'll get a good spring season in here and then start looking towards fall and preparing for these big fall hunts. I cannot wait. So hopefully the tag gods are, are good to me and good to you and we end up with some good hunts this season. So um, thanks you guys for the support. Um, thanks for the reviews, iTunes and um, different podcast hosting site. It really helps out. Uh so yeah, I, I'm and and means a ton to me as well. It helps the podcast and I get on there sometimes and I, I read some of the negative ones, but you know, you just can't get stuck in those negative ones. It, it's 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 not good in life either, you know. It's like um it just is what it is, you know. It's like the bigger you get, either people like you or they don't, you know, and that's fine. But um those one star reviews, gosh, they just hurt the podcast and um I, you know, I guess just invoke those feelings in some guys, but gosh, I just don't go out of my way to, to spread negativity, you know, but I, that's, that's not the world we live in. It just is what it is. And I've just got to handle it, you know, but, uh, it means a lot, the support and positivity from you guys, social media on the podcast, and just want to keep putting out the absolute best content I can that helps make you guys successful. So, um, thanks for the support. That's a wrap. I'll check in with you guys next week.